Ah, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I have Ginger Healy with me today. So I am going to do a little mini introduction about my experience with you. And I'm going to talk to my people about you. And then we're going to talk to you. So just know that that's coming. So for those of you that don't know, I'm Stacy York Nation. Some people know me as Stacy York. Some people know me as Nation. Whatevs. Uh, I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I have had the opportunity to be in the trauma-informed space for a very long time. I believe I started public speaking in 2010 about trauma-informed practices. And what's been really amazing in the last year is I've had these wonderful humans come into my life in all sorts of interesting ways. And so uh, Ginger Healy has been in my email box. She has been in my, hey, we got your proposal. Come and chat with us at the conference box. She saved me on an elevator, which I cannot even begin to tell you how thankful Megan and I were for that. Uh, and then you just know a lot of the amazing humans in my life wow. are in yours as well. And I decided a few weeks ago, I need to do a series for my audience. I My audience includes educators, parents, adopted parents, veterans, military families. The scope is wide. And when you're an LCSW, yeah. as you know, you serve a lot of people. And so one of the reasons I'm so excited to talk to you about, talk to you today, is I feel like we have some parallel life stuff happening. <laughs> and I just want to talk to you. So who are you? Who is Ginger Healy? That is a very good question. You would probably get different answers depending on who you ask, but I like that I control the narrative and you don't know whether it's true or not, but I will tell you the truth <laughs> from, my, from my perspective. Okay. I'm an, also an LCSW, licensed clinical social worker. I love that title. I'm proud of that title. It, it was hard earned and I love the field of social work. You kind of touched on that. We get to just interact with so many different people in all walks of life. I love that. That is just such a joy to me because I just, I love people. I really do. I truly like, you know, we, we all need people. We all need relationships. We all need connection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. But like, I, it's like oxygen to me to just interact with people face-to-face -face and virtually as well. So I enjoy that. I think more the more than most people. <laughs> Same. So, so I'm a people lover. I'm a people person. I'm a therapist. Um, I'm a mom. That's my favorite role and title, even though I don't necessarily think that I'm amazing at it. I love it. I just love my little people in my life who are not so little anymore. How, my old how old are they? What are, what are their current ages? Oh my gosh. Colin, my oldest turned 25 Saturday. So 25 feels like that's a big number. He is my oldest. He is adopted. And, um, I say that because that is how, what one of the reasons I have, I worked in the adoption field for over 15 years. And I worked in that field before we adopted Colin. But once I adopted Colin, I was like, oh, I didn't really know what I was doing. You know what I mean? It was a different yeah. perspective. Like I, my work changed 
um, my philosophies, my thoughts, my knowledge and experience changed after being an adoptive mom. So he's 25 and he is super handsome. I can say that because, you know, he didn't get those genes from me, but he is one of the best looking people you'll ever see. But he's also like so beautiful inside as well. He's just kind and sweet and gentle. And if I go down that path of bragging on the kids, we will be here all day. So I'll try to move quicker. But so Colin is 25 and then Alec is 21. I just have to like stop and pause. It blows me away because they're still like teeny tiny to me. But Alec is 21. And then Ellie, my only daughter, Eliana, she is 17. She just had her birthday too. So I'm like, can't say 16 anymore. She's 17. And then Dash, he is my baby who I told him when he was born, you're the baby. You got to stay the baby. I'm going to rock you till you're 35. Yeah. And he looked at me and, and said, I will never be the baby. You will not, you know, like let's yeah. hit the ground running. I've got three older siblings that are doing cool stuff. And I don't, he was born with FOMO. He's like, put me, put me in the driver's seat. Let's go. So he never got the memo that he was the baby, but every so often I'll sneak into his bed. And when he's sleeping, I just like cuddle him and hold him tight. And then I get the last laugh. Like I'm going to cuddle you. I will rock you. <laughs> I love that. How old is he? So, so he will be 12 in June. So we're coming up on 12. I love on. that you're spending time talking about your humans. And I think <sighs> what I tell everyone in my life is I don't leave my mom self outside the door when I come into my Zoom room, my yeah. office, right? Like those are pieces of what influence our story and influence the work we do. And I think it's so important to honor them. Now, yeah. my children charge me $2 a story. Oh, so. that they, 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 ha, they know me. So they know, like I've always asked permission and they always grant it, but they would dig dollars a story. They would be filthy rich. Yeah. And sometimes I'll say, what are my kids? And then tell the story yeah. because, you know, yeah. but it's the only they do, to- you're yeah. right. They shape and mold everything I do. Yeah professionally, personally, of course. And so they are a big part of everything. Yeah. 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 Blah, blah, blah. Love, they, that. Mm-hmm. Love that. So one of the things that I use often with the people I work with is that we just have chitty chats. Like we just show up in a space. We talk about us, talk about our stress, we talk about whatever. And some of us happen to be in this role where we my partner calls it above average knowledge of the human psyche. And I love that, right? I love that. But I'm like, really, it's just people chitty chatting. And some of us have a deeper understanding of brain development, neuroscience, and all these different things. And so I, you, you alluded to the fact that you, you got a little bit more into this when you became an adoptive parent. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did you end up becoming a social worker in general? How did you end up like going down this road? What are you currently doing now? I'm just curious about these things. I know I, I'm the same. I love people's stories and how they ended up where they are. And it is fascinating to me too. I get that. 
Okay, let's see. I mean, I changed my major seven times in college. And I think that is a strength because it makes me feel better about myself when I say that. And because I learned what I liked and what I didn't like and what I was good at and what I wasn't good at. And when I just had a lot of hopes and dreams and I always wanted to travel the world, that's like another form of oxygen to me that just fills my cup is traveling. So I tried the linguistics program and I traveled to South Korea and taught English and I loved it. But then I was like, I don't know how to make that a career where I can also be a mom because honestly, truly like being a mom was the career, but I needed to like fund a lot of hopes and dreams and yeah. hobbies and, you know, good things and bad things that I wanted to do. And so, um, dropped out of the linguistics program and went into the English program. Cause I thought I really want to be an author. Cause if I was an author, then I could be a stay at home mom and write books on the side. But that was hard too. Like I didn't, know what I was doing or it just, I don't know. It wasn't feeling right. So I dropped out of the English program and then I took an English or a mental health 101 course one summer when it was time to really like choose your major or, or like, if you want to graduate someday, choose the major, you know, and I took this mental health 101 class and I was like, found myself sitting front row, listening to the professor going, I just need more. I want more. I have questions. I, I want to study this. I want to read about this. I want to do more than the homework. And I, it was like, oh yeah, this is, this is it. Right. So started into the social work program, got the bachelor's and wasn't sure, like had a little self-doubt, like, can I handle a master's? Do I need a master's? Mm -hmm. And then had a mentor that said, girl, you have got to go get that master's degree. It will open up doors for you. It will allow you to be flexible in your work schedule. So yeah, you, if you still want to be that stay-at-home mom, then you can work nights or weekends or evenings or when your kids are in school and not have to necessarily work full-time if you don't want to or work away from the kids and went and got the master's. Best thing I ever did. And um then I like, you know, I did child abuse investigations and then I, and I hated it, but it was such good experience and I'm glad I did it. But I thought I do not want to do this the rest of my life, you know, sure, sure. it just, you know, it was hard emotionally and, but I learned a lot. So I was glad I did it. But then I started working at the hospital when I was doing my internship to get the master's degree. And I loved that. I I don't know how to say this without sounding crazy, but I loved being in the middle of a crisis. I was really good at it. Like I was calm and I could see what needed to be done and who needed to go where. And I could be the stable rock in the middle that was like directing traffic and managing it and not becoming a part of the crisis. Mm -hmm. I liked to manage the chaos. Um, and I loved that. And then when I was doing that, we were, I was also in the middle of an adoption. And, um, once I brought that little guy home, I was like, Oh, I, I need to like be home, home. Um, so I quit the hospital job and started, and then I got pregnant. And so like, I got these two little boys at the same time. 
One was five years old. He was from Romania. He did not speak English. He hated me. I don't blame him. He, I had take him, taken him away from everything that he yeah. knew and loved. Yeah. And even though it didn't, he needed that, you know, to be taken away from a life on the streets and, you know, all of those things. Um, he didn't want to be taken away from that. And he didn't know he didn't, you know, yeah. so that was hard, 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 hard. And then I gave birth to this little boy at the same time. And he had autism and none of us knew that, but he wasn't eating and he wasn't sleeping and he couldn't be consoled. And in fact, I was just talking about this with him on mother's day. We were, you know, we were talking about adoption stories and birth stories and how I became a mother. We we're talking about that on mother's day. And Alex said, remember how you told me that you would put me in your, um, what's that? The sling, the jump, the yes. backpack. And I'd put him in the front of me because he just was inconsolable and I'd rock him for hours and hours. And I, and he finally found this one position where his back was arched and his head was all the way back and he would stop crying. And then I would start crying because that was wrong. Like it looked wrong oh, and it yeah. felt wrong. And I was like, Babies shouldn't be in that position. They should be cuddled in this one. And, and then he, but he would not stop crying until he found this one really arched back position or this other position where he was in the car seat and we would swing him and we got really big biceps. We were so, yeah. and we would take, we would take turns because <laughs> it was exhausting. Those were the only two positions that he would stop oh. crying in. So looking back now, it was like, oh you know, he had some sensory issues going yeah. on. And yeah. four years later, we got the diagnosis of autism and went, Oh, oh, makes, we, sense. makes sense. But what I tell you all that to say, Alec was a hard baby. He knows that he knows this, that, you know, it wasn't him that was hard. It was trying to console him and soothe him. That was hard. And then Colin dealing with like all this loss and change and grief. He was so hard. He wasn't hard. It was the situation was so hard with these, like I had dreamt of motherhood my whole life. And then I got there and it was, it sucked. It was like, none of us were sleeping. None of us were eating and we couldn't console each other. We were all miserable. It sounded like we were, you know, I had dreamt of yeah. us just hugging each other and cuddling and life was great and nothing worked. And so then I felt like a total failure so I called the adoption agency that helped us adopt Colin. And I said, help, I need to talk to adults. I need help for me, but I think I can help other people. At least I know I can sit on the phone with them and say, I know it's really hard. Yeah. I can do that yeah. and be very authentic. So then that started 15 years of me being an adoption social worker and wow. traveling to these orphanages around the world. <laughs> evaluating children, preparing the parents for what was about to come and um, trying to prepare the children because these were older special needs children. That was my niche um, in the adoption world. I did that for 15 years and then I was a better mom for it because I filled my cup and was able then to fill my kid's cup. I was just before, it was just finding that balance and then two more kids came. So 
two careers going on with this mom thing. Cause I found out it wasn't all yeah. easy. And I no. needed all this stuff and then helping other parents at the same time, like here are some resources, here are some support. And, and even back then that was like, you know, 1999 or whatever, we knew nothing about attachment and adoption and trauma and loss and grief. Like we were living it. So we were learning it, but we didn't know why or how. And like, for me personally, it was surrounded and shrouded in all this like guilt and shame because I was helping people adopt, but they were really struggling. And I, so then I was like, am I doing the right thing? Like, oh, it's so layered and so complex and so also beautiful and good at the same time. But, oh my gosh, those first, those 15 years were just good and hard. And so that's kind of how I ended up in that world. And then um, adoptions, international adoptions slowly really started going down. My caseload went from like 2000 to like two. And so I thought, oh my gosh, after 15 years, I think it's time for a career change. What does that look like? And by then, you know, kids growing older and, and then, and, and, and then we were moving at the same time. Like we had lived 25 years in this cute little bucolic little town. And then we were moving to the big city in Salt Lake. And then it was in the middle of a pandemic. Mm. Anyway, all of this started happening in 2018, but I moved to the attachment and trauma network as the program director career wise. Um, so that changed to nonprofit and we're working more virtually. I was also this time at this time, starting in 2018, working as a school therapist. So I had 45 kids on my caseload that, um, I was, and that's kind of how I got into the school slash trauma. Like I was doing parenting, caregiving slash trauma attachment. And then, uh, with the attachment and trauma network and with the, um, schools, I was doing school trauma attachment, all of that, blending it all together into this beautiful, you know, world and knowledge base. And, um, and then this last year writing a book about it. So yeah, that leads us to kind of to today, but there, that was, that's a glimpse into that crazy wild journey. Love it. How how we got here. I love it. So there's just a few nuggets I want to pull out of that. So one, I had a beautiful friend tell me a few weeks ago, ain't no hood like motherhood. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I don't like humility being, I love it. Right. Because I'm like, we have these visions of how motherhood's going to go. And I don't know if you experienced this, but there's this added layer of like, oh, I'm supposed to know how this is supposed to go. And I'm supposed to have the answers and I have above average knowledge of the human psyche and nothing's working. Nothing. <laughs> so it's like this extra nothing. layer, right? Yeah. Of, of things. And so I love how beautiful you just unpack some of that. That's, I mean, I know. I mean the only thing that, you know, cause nothing was working. The only thing that finally like worked, made it tolerable, bearable, beautiful was another mother reaching out to me saying, sometimes I don't like my kids or sometimes I don't like being a mom or sometimes 
I just like want to go to sleep and not wake up. Like, you yeah. know, it wasn't that we were horribly depressed or suicidal or anything. We just needed someone else to go, oh my gosh, right? It's so hard. And sometimes it's really ugly. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that we don't love our kids so much and, and love being a mother so much. And it's just like, we had no idea. And once she gave me permission to go, oh, amen, thank you. You're right. Like, I just want to walk away from it sometimes for an extended vacation alone yeah. and sleep. Once she gave me permission, then I was like, oh, okay, I'm not crazy. No. I'm I'm just a mom and, and, and I'm, I'm a woman and I'm all these things that I need help with and I can't do alone. And that, that's when that was how it all made it. Okay. Was somebody else yeah. validating me, seeing me, yeah, not judging me. And that is exactly why we're having shitty chats today, because I just know the power of letting people know they're not alone mm -hmm. in those situations. Exactly. And I think that it translates to the school setting so much, right? Of teachers who might feel exhausted or I love my job and I don't like this kid. I am, I love this kid and I'm struggling with this kid. Like the whole- Yes, and yes. 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 So we have been talking a lot about holding multiple truths that you can have conflicting feelings, right? I always say when you grow up in America, you only really have two feelings. You have happy and angry and everything in between is not really publicized. Yeah. And yeah. so part of our work is to just go, yeah, this is hard and you can yeah. love it and you can want to give up and, 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 yeah. and you're, you're also talking, one of the things I love about your story is this piece around working in hospitals mm. and love crisis. And I always tell my people that part of my job is to help you become an emotional crisis responder. Mm. And all of us who are working with any humans are emotional crisis responders. We just don't all have the training. Oh my gosh. And here you are in a setting where you're literally crisis responding, yeah. but you're providing, which we're going to get to, you're providing co-regulation yeah. for your oh, entire yeah. team, right? I, and I didn't have those words at the time. I had no idea, but I, I knew I was good at it and liked it and was effective. And yeah, there, there was that piece there. And I don't, I don't want to minimize, I, I could hear myself saying, and I wasn't suicidal and I wasn't depressed and all that. I don't want to minimize that there is yeah. that and that's okay too. And that we do need to recognize that and be aware of that and, and hold space for that because I didn't recognize signs of post-adoption depression, postpartum depression. And so I'm glad that I had someone that was monitoring that for me and that I could monitor that for others that, um, we do cross into territory sometimes where we really do need help and need to ask for help. And I just, that moment where she saw me and validated me and that if I would have said, I'm having some pretty dark thoughts, cause I have had dark thoughts that sure. I had that safe place yeah. to go. So I hope, I hope I, I wanted to bring that back out too. Cause I think I glossed over and made it sound like well, I, but I wasn't that bad or I didn't, you know, 
No, I think you did beautiful. I think one of the things that we talk a lot in my house, in my relationships is the way to get to co-regulation is to share the dysregulation. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I really think that the more we open up about, you know, Hey, this is dark. I'm not sure I can make it through. I remember the day my kids, I got divorced and I was laying on my bed and my kids were going to their dads for the first time. And I was like, I can't do this. I cannot live without my children. I do not know how to do that. And clearly I'm still here today, but it was dark. It was really, really dark. And if I didn't know, like I need to reach out, I need to share the dysregulation and how I'm feeling. So I can get to that other spot. I I think that's where many of our people land, where we land, you know, it's really, it's a hard place to be. So Thanks for sharing that. It's a common place to be. I didn't know that at the time either, but we were all suffering in some way, in some level, in some form. And we need, we all needed each other. We, there's no reason to suffer in silence. There's no healing in that isolation. Yeah. Love that. So part of my conversation I have with you, you mentioned a book. Mm. It just changed the word. It's a book a freaking guide I think it's like a bible of co-regulation yeah Mm. same oh there you go (laughs) yeah I have I read this ginger and I was like yes that's what I say yes this is how I'm like yes 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 it was so validating as a professional and it was also so useful as a parent, as a person who works with people, like there's so many great resources in here and it's the, it's the best money I've spent on a book in a really long time. And that's why I'm saying it's not a book. I mean, you dug into the nitty gritty of where the research has been, where the science is now, all the things that we didn't have in 1999 and 2006, like there's things in there that I know every parent I've ever worked with. And I know are like, well, we didn't have that when we were growing up. You and I didn't have these things, right? My mom about this. And my mom's like, I don't remember half your childhood. I'm like, that's called dissociation. (laughs) And she's like, yeah, we didn't have that word. Right. And the poor woman has two daughters that are therapists and another daughter that's not. And I'm always like, Come on, mom. Come on. But I want to, I want to talk about this because I have a, I have some not obvious questions. What was it like for you personally to write about these really hard topics of regulation and co-regulation? I, I loved it because in my work, I'm speaking about it every day. And so I actually, when I went to the publisher, I had a different idea or thought or goal in mind. And they said, "Mm, I don't know, what about this? And I was was thinking like a children's picture book, but they were talking about these um, 15 minute focus series, these technical books that are just guides. They're short and sweet so that you can get through them quick. They're not heavy, but they, they cover a lot. And and I got really nervous and about it, like, can I do that? You know, but then um, the publisher said, but you're, you're already doing that. And if, if, if you're speaking about it now, you just, you just need to get it down. And so that made it less intimidating and, and gave me more of a template. Um, Cause I just, I'm the type of person that like, 
I'm not necessarily a visionary. If I see it and hold it and touch it, you know, I can copy it or model it or follow it, but like to come up with something, I, that's, that's harder for me. And so, um, so I, I don't know, I, it was, I thought it was going to be harder than it was and it was challenging, but I, but I felt like, here's the thing I, when I do speak and maybe you have the same experience. Sometimes when you speak about the same thing over and over again, you're worried about fatigue that everyone's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've heard it all before, but every time I speak, someone's like, this is the first time I've heard it. Where have you been? I've needed yep. this information. Thank you for saying it. And it just gives me this excitement and inspiration to keep going and keep talking yep. about it. And so I thought that's what I, this book will do. And, and so I love hearing that that is what it's doing because this is topics. It's the, the, the focus is for schools and classrooms, but it is very adaptable for everyone. And that is the goal you know, because everything that I pulled from is experience from the home and from my therapy and just, it's, it, it's for anybody that is working with a child, which is, you know, all of us. So, yeah, well, I wanted to make sure we covered how you got to where you were, because a lot of times I will have, especially my adopted parents, adopted mm. parents are some of the best experts on the planet. And an adopted parent can go into a classroom, a yeah. psychiatrist's office, a therapist's office, and they can, they can do the work. Like they know more than most people in that room. Now that's also true for teachers. It's true for parents, but adopted parents have this like tuned in way to carry more information in my experience than a lot of people on the planet. And one of the things I love about your book is that your, your adopted experience tone is in that. And it's so accessible, right? It's so much like, this is very much the experience of humans, the human experience, and it will apply in the classroom. Mm -hmm. This is very much the human Good. experience. And parents, it's helpful for you to know this too. How do we adapt that to home? And so I just was so excited to read through it and hear the tone of both because I think it's a resource to me. This is like what you get teachers during teacher appreciation week. This is mm -hmm. what you get, you know, this is, this is where teams come together and find a shared language around students, because I think that's part of what's in the gap of helping yes. students, right. From a social emotional level is what's the language we use. How do we talk about it? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that. I, I think the thing about adoptive parents is that we're sometimes hyper-focused on attachment because that is the issue that is running rampant in our homes. Yep. And that's what I love so much about the attachment and trauma network is that attachment piece is often missing when we're talking about trauma or when we're talking about PTSD or any type of mental illness or drug abuse or any life-threatening situation where we're trying to figure out what's going on with a behavior. Yeah. And this is where schools really come in as the behavior management piece is foremost in their minds, but they're missing this piece about attachment and where the behavior is coming from. And adoptive parents already, they get it and they know yeah. that. So now 
it's not, a, but it's not an adoptive parent issue. It's a human issue. Yes. So, yeah. but yeah. I think the adoptive parents are nodding their head the loudest, but yeah, it's a human issue. And so that's why it crosses so many boundaries to, to talk about attachment because it's been in the forefront of the adoption field, but it needs to be in the forefront of every field because it is. It's the answer. It's the antidote. Secure attachment is the antidote for any, you know, yeah, harm that a child has. Absolutely, and, and we know se- secure attachments connected to their stress response system. Crazy. It's connect right. So for me, when I'm sitting with a woman with all the things in your brain that you have. And our audience is so thankful. They spend time with us and they listen to us chitty chat. What are, what are like two things that you wish every single human knew about neuroscience, brain development, whatever, whatever you like, what are the two things you think are the most important? Oh, it's a big question, Ginger. Yeah. I mean, okay. First, for at least for me, what resonated the most and changed everything for me was learning that the brain, the brain was plastic and moldable and shapeable and that neuroplasticity meant through our lifetime, because I had been taught that the brain, you know, stops growing and stops changing and gets fixed at a certain age. But once I learned that was not true and that we can continuously throughout our life, create neural pathways and change, then I went, oh, well, then there's all the hope in the world. Nothing is off the table. We can change brains. We can change relationships. We can change habits. We can change behavior. There's there that was it for me. It was like, okay, great. Tell me how I'm on it. Give me a checklist, you know, and I'll I'll do it. So I just love the hope that lies in neuroplasticity and how to change brains. And I also love how it's done. It's such a beautiful thing when you just boil it down to positive, safe relationship and connection that is way oversimplifying it. And that's fine. Yeah, that is, that's exactly what it is, you know, is surrounding yourself with safety and co-regulation and positivity through human relationship. That's how we change brains. And so I love that. I love that too. I don't know what the second thing is. You got to give me a second, but it's probably, you know, within that same realm, just knowing here it is, knowing that you don't have to go and pay for a treatment or a strategy or equipment or anything else. There's so much good out there and there's so much healing that you can do. And I recommend, you know, when people come to me, I give them a list, try, you know, but but really it's that you are the strategy that you as the adult, the parent, the coach, the teacher, whatever role you are, it's just you. It's your calm, warm, soothing, attuned presence. You don't even have to say anything because how many times when we're in therapy or when people ask us for advice, they want to know, well, what do I say? Well, what do I do? And how do I do it? And I just say, just be there. Just let them know you see them. You're with them. You're not going anywhere. 
that you're going to be alongside them. That is enough, you know, that just that you are the strategy. I love that. I was going to say, if you didn't say that, I was going to say you have a chapter in this beautiful guide called you are the strategy. Yeah. And I say, never underestimate the power of your impact. Mm. Like you are the strategy. I also say silence is a superpower. Yes. And yeah. it is probably one of my favorite ways of showing up for people is just to be silent. Yes. And yes. the beauty of the brain being plastic, the relationship is the, the dynamic that shifts everything. Yeah. And that we are the strategy. I think those are so powerful yeah. and understated. Yes. Yeah. It's, it sounds simple, yeah. you know, but. I love that. I'm glad you shared that. So Ginger Healy, when people hear this, they're going to want to know, how do I find this? What do I do? How do I get in touch with her? She's amazing. I always say, I know the best people on the planet and I just bring them to all the other best people on the planet. So uh, we will post all the contact information you want to share with our audience, but where, where can people find this? Where can people even look for it? Yeah, it's, it's wherever a book is sold. So Amazon is probably the quickest, easiest, you know, most. Yeah. And we serve rural states. So we're just happy sometimes people can get to us. Right. But I it's, you can get it through Barnes and Noble. You can get it through bookshelf. You can get it on the ATN website. AT, uh, the attachment trauma network has a bookstore. Um, so wherever you're buying your books, it should be there available. If not in the store on the shelf, then they will order it for you virtually. So love it. Love it. Is there anything else you want to leave the audience with in this little chitty chat of ours? Any other things that I feel like you and I could probably chat for hours. So never. I, you know, I, I just love, I love chitty chatting. I'm good at that too. Yeah. I think, I think we just have to give ourselves grace and patience and you know, there's no reason to be carrying around guilt or shame. I, I probably am saying that because that's a superpower of mine, right? To yeah. carry around, you know, guilt and second guess everything I've done. And it's like, it's just not doing anybody any good. And so, because I always tell people like, first of all, you know, it's good to make mistakes. We're human, so we're going to. And it is the best model for kids, especially if you circle it, you know, with an apology and a sincere repair of that rupture. So give yourself a freaking break. You're doing Mm -hmm. the best you can. And that is good enough. We just don't have to be perfect. Yeah. I wish I could shout that from the mountaintops. I know me too. Yeah. Like, and I'm, I'm shouting it also to like, my younger self, you know what I mean? Like, it's okay. You're, you're enough. You are enough. Love that. Love that. Well, thank you so much for your time and your vulnerability. You had no idea what I was going to ask today. You had no idea. You were just like, "Mm, we'll see how this goes. So I hope you feel loved and cared for because we, we appreciate the love and care you give others, Ginger. And You, you are a gift. You are a strategy for co-regulation. I see, I see some of the storms that you hold and 
it's remarkable. And so just know that we're thankful you're here and you're sharing your gifts with the world. So thanks for oh, showing up today. You are welcome. Oh, bye friends. We'll see you on our next, next episode. <laughs>